Hello and welcome to uh, the new episode of Dynamics Update. Today we are going to discuss uh, the release of 10.0.22, which is out in preview right now. And with me, as usual, I have Gustav Sundard. Hello, Gustav. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Good evening. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you. I'm uh, still catching up on all the new stuff coming in the release waves, and um, I'm otherwise well. Looking forward to uh, to a good podcast looking at version 22 today, right? Yes, uh, I actually thought that I should start today because I have an I have <laughs> an I have a like a backlog item from last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time we discussed the new status, uh, the new feature status called on by default. And what I didn't realize, because I, I was a bit sloppy when reading things, was that uh, from 10.0.21, this will be implemented on everything that was released before April. Mm-hmm. So all features that have been released before, before April, as far as I can understand this, will be enabled. Because what I, I read is that it said that they had an example which said that a release, a feature that comes in April, will be set to on by default in October and will then be made mandatory in April. And that is because they, they want to force the features to be enabled. Because I think they probably realized that that they had a, an, they they were hoping that everyone would do this by themselves, and and hope that they would turn them on anyway. What they then realized was that nobody did that whatsoever. So now <laughs> they actually do the same thing with features as they do with like uh, changes in entities and so on. You have a year, and then we enable it. Yeah, exactly. But does that also apply to, to not the regional um, features, right? It's just the ones that are applicable for your region. So, I mean, they're all automatically updated. And if you're in that current region, that will be updated, right? There, there was no caveat for regional features, okay. actually. No, but so, it makes sense. So, I yeah, mean, so, that, so it, the, the thing is, I think it makes sense because I think that, and now I'm just speculating, I'm just guessing here, but what I think is that Microsoft want as many customers as possible to be on a as full features system as possible. Mm-hmm. And I've been, you and I, I know that you and I have been reasoning about these uh, regional settings. I mean, yeah. you could approach them in one of two ways. Either you can say, we don't use them, so we shouldn't enable them. Or you mm-hmm. can reason... We don't use them, so we might as well enable them, because yeah, of course, we don't use them anyway. <laughs> and and I think from a from a testing perspective, it's probably safer, at least if you want to get the same testing results as Microsoft. It's probably safer to have them enabled, yeah, because exactly. Microsoft is testing on a fully updated and fully featured system. Most likely, that is correct, and I think it also makes sense out of a, like a planning perspective because uh, whenever you do testing, you want you don't want like uh, run out two weeks of tests and then someone decides to enable it. You need to have that planned all ahead. Like this sprint or this release, we will enable these features automatically because everyone is aware of them, and that also um, makes it important to kind of try to stay ahead and read up on what is coming instead of just looking at that at it for each release. Um, so you can plan for it because if you know it's going to be automatically activated, it makes kind of a more 
incentive to to um, stay up to date because it's going to come whether you like it or not. It's not optional anymore. So, and uh, it's been live for so long this cloud uh, solution. So I, I hope everyone is up to speed on that one. But it's um, it's an interesting change, not not the least forcing everyone to do it. <laughs> the thing is that that all of these details that you and I are reasoning about right now, they weren't really mentioned in the in the blog post so these are i mean these are partly assumption um and and also if you if you are looking at at um the backlog of features i mean i was as a customer before that had about like almost 300 features which weren't weren't enabled which means that as far as i can interpret the text is that going on 10.0.21 all of these features will be set to on as default. Um, <laughs> I haven't had a chance to test it actually, but but I think that, I mean, either that or all of these backlog features will be disabled forever. And I don't think that's the case. No, but the, 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 the keyword here is on by default. Uh, basically, you're also allowed yeah. to switch them off if, in case you run into breaking, breaking um, issues. Yes. At least until they become mandatory. Yeah, exactly. But and uh, then uh, it's up to you to kind of raise if you have any breaking issues with your customizations or ISVs. So again, it kind of drives the, the communication from, from your part towards Microsoft and man, absolutely drives the, the, um, the testing part. So, But it's interesting to note. I mean, it's a blog post. <laughs> I mean, there's no, well, maybe the emails are coming out, but it's important to note these things to, to plan ahead. Yep, absolutely. Cool. All right. So, what's your first thing? Um, yeah, I have like a wide scale of small and large things. I'm gonna jump right straight into the the, um, the supply one, the scale and edge units. It's I, I think I bring this up in every podcast because I'm really like I'm really interesting in, interested in the scale units and then the um, uh, the structure. You also delivered a very nice uh, session this week on, on the uh, microservices oriented architecture that Microsoft seems to be driving towards um this is really warehousing it's the cloud and edge scale units um you want i know you know this but um, the difference between what's the difference between a cloud scale unit and an edge scale unit um the supply chain management has the cloud scale unit where you can off put like specific workloads you can uh, set a specific warehouse operation to operate on this cloud scale unit mainly out of a latency regional Purposes. So you have a warehouse in, in US and a warehouse in Europe, uh, you might want to consider using a cloud scale unit, whereas an edge scale unit is um, located on prem um, to support all, offline scenarios 24 seven, etc. So in the commerce area, you have the retail store scale unit and the cloud scale units kind of similar similar scenarios where one is put on prem and um, to support more Well, in the commerce part is not really offline, it's more like handle poor connections but it's the same principle um and the the new thing here is the edge scale unit and the hybrid setup that it can become quite complicated here uh when you, when you look at these more advanced setups of warehouses but it's clear again that uh, this is a um, area where um, each release you see a, a lot of functionality coming into these scale units so um if you're running just just one warehouse but then you don't have these kind of demands then maybe not necessary for you, but you, I think the cloud scale unit um, will be in the same essence as it is for commerce. I think it will be a key part of any warehouse setup, even if you run it locally and you run it, or if you run it in just one region. Um, so 
read up on the cloud and edge scale units and see if they are for you. Yeah. So if, if you're familiar with how retail worked in, in 2012, <laughs> this is basically exactly the same thing. But instead of having to install six different components and 25 different certificates, you actually have it in, in one unit now. Yeah. So, and, and the difference is that either you put it in the cloud in your region mm-hmm. or you put it on-prem and that's the difference. And also what you also do is that you buy yourself the, the option to have maintenance windows without disrupting exactly. uh, the, 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 the business, the warehouse or the retail business. So you can actually, uh, if you have, if you have uh, 24-7 uh, warehouses and, and retail mm. stores, you can actually do maintenance while they are still up and running although with some limitations, but they are mostly working. Exactly. All right, so my next one, and this one is is sort of just a nerdy pet one of mine. I am very fond of uh, Visual Studio Code. I think it's a, it's a brilliant product. I am, I, I, I usually call myself a developer wannabe. I am not a developer. I, <laughs> I would like to be one because they are sort of my idols. So I've been dabbling a bit with Visual Studio Code, and I think it's a really cool tool. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I'm going to, uh, what what the, the news is, is actually that if you are developing extensions for commerce uh, <coughs> cloud scale unit, you can actually do it in Visual Studio Code. So you're not required to use the regular Visual Studio one before. Because just a reminder, these are regular .NET code. This this is not X++, uh, X++ code. So you're not required to be on a, a X++ uh, a Dynamics dev box. Exactly. You can do it in a regular tool. Mm. That's very cool. And it's clear which path they're going towards as well and really catching up to the the more the larger .NET area, uh, which has been uh, way ahead of our poor X++ developers for quite some time. But hopefully one day we'll get there. <laughs> There, there, there is actually a plugin for Visual Studio Code for X plus <laughs> plus. Yeah. So you can actually s- syntax highlight X plus plus code in Visual Studio Code, which is cool. You can't compile it. You can, you can, you can write it, but you can't test it, and you can't compile it, but you can write it. But it's cool, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. That's the that's the whole point. Uh, yeah, but another topic there. I'm not sure if it was this release or the last release, but it's also clear. I mean, the retail SDK is no longer being published in LCS. It's on GitHub, in GitHub instead. So I mean, it's quite clear trying to streamline um, the development, well, release schedules and not schedules, but release. Um, uh, patterns basically and uh, yeah and, and I mean I mean there, there have been rumors for quite a while that we will be able to host even the x++ projects in in git <laughs> so uh, it it is absolutely coming we are we are joining the rest of the developer community yeah exactly and that makes sense not only from a technical perspective it makes sense because it kind of widens the the area of, of um, dynamics developers or technical people who can um, can work with the product because it's really hard to recruit or to stay on top and also to be interested in and actually drive the platform forward if you're way different from what everyone else is doing right and it's also cheaper of course to to have um, a wider um, area of knowledge uh, in each, in your staff another uh, a little segue over to i, I looked at the platform update this um, for this release and uh, 
not that like not, not that many major changes, but it's clear that the UI team has been very busy. So a lot of like um, uh, widgets and, and JS movements. I'm not going to go into that. It's not my area of expertise, but I noticed two small things. I just wanted to highlight it because I think it's nice that these things are also being worked at uh, all the time. Uh, the color picker control is being replaced with a fluent color picker control um, to align the experience with other Microsoft products. So when you choose your color like for your forms or whatever or for your color you get the same color picker that you get in other products it's a small thing but it's quite nice i think you make it align the experience and the same is the, like the hierarchy viewer control you they they modified it and this is a quote especially for 400 percent zoom scenarios and it's that like it's a nice thing someone noted an error here because it didn't work optimally if you had a very large like <laughs> Uh, organization and you have to zoom in 400% and you log a ticket and it goes all through the hoops and someone fixes it. It's very nice, I think. Yep. I, I just have a question related to this. <laughs> uh, so so Microsoft is all about developers being able to choose their platform. Choose, I mean, Visual Studio Code is available for basically any platform. You can run it with Linux, on Mac and everyone. Mm. Uh, they, are, they are very language agnostic you can basically use whatever language you want. When will we, will we see core ERP customization in something other than X++? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's coming there as well, I think. I mean, it depends on how you define core ERP in the like um, postings or like uh, not in Power Platform, etc. Because you could argue that the whole Power Platform is in essence a way to either avoid customization or extend the product without using X++ modifications, right? Yeah, but, but what, I'm, what I'm talking about here is, is native customizations within Dynamics 365 for finance and operations. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what, what, we, I mean what, what I'm thinking about here is that basically it, does, it boils down to binaries yeah. eventually anyway. Yes. So theoretically you could, if you have known uh, APIs and known... Uh, um, surfaces between the components, you could actually build it in whatever you want. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, that's not impossible. That's the, that's the way it's going. I think that was maybe some sometimes the intent when, when purchasing AX, but uh, I mean, AX was AX, and AX is a very quite large product with a lot of yes. lines of code. So maybe the plan was to do that with 2012, uh, like the MS release. Um, but uh, it's a it's a hard thing to do to replace, but you're right with the with the new move to I mean of course cloud platform and also using um, the architecture with as you say you expose uh, interfaces instead of uh, exposing the the actual code uh, you make that thing a lot easier so um, absolutely I think that's coming and again with the same argument I had just recently with it's it becomes harder to sustain knowledge in like X plus plus if you can do it in .NET and or C sharp yep. uh, so to widen the, the well, area of recruitment, perhaps. Um, yeah, might make sense. Yep. All right, so uh, th those were two smaller ones. Uh, do you want to take the next one, you want? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, and this one was actually the one that, that disappointed me a bit <laughs> because um, I read the following, geo-detection and redirection for e-commerce <laughs> site. We're talking redundancy. No, we're not. So what this is, is basically not redundancy what it is is the option to actually have 
different site setups for different regions. You know when you go to Amazon.com, but you go there from Sweden, mm. you are automatically redirected to Amazon.se, for instance, and you get the Swedish translation automatically, and you get the Swedish uh, assortment and so on. And this is basically the same thing. You want to be able to customize a site for a specific region, and maybe even... Um, uh, specify, uh, customize the assortment and all of those things. Exactly. The funny thing is I had the exact same reaction when I read that when I prepared for this poll. Uh, so I mean, that, that just means that you and I are both tech nerds, um, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. But I actually, I actually had a thought around this. Uh, I know that you and I have been discussing the commerce engine and, and especially uh, in relation to, to their competitors, mm. that we, we are saying that this is, a, this is probably a good... Uh, a good component for uh, ERP users that are using Dynamics 365 for finance and operations. But if you want the best of breed system, there are a lot more advanced e-commerce sites available that you can use and so on. But what I'm actually thinking here is that there are a lot of aspects to what makes an uh, uh, e-commerce site great. Functionality is one, but scalability is another. And, And that that is something that is really, really important. And that's actually where I think that Microsoft, probably just by sort of clicking to click boxes somewhere, <laughs> would, would be able to... I, I'm, of course, uh, being a bit uh, uh, <laughs> uh, funny here, but but just, I mean, if, if they were to release 10.0.25 and say, so all of your commerce sites are now worldwide. Yeah. They are automatically redundant over all Azure regions in the entire world. Hmm. That would be really cool. Even though you don't get any other functionality, <laughs> that would be really cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's the power of Azure. And that's the power of, of course, AWS as well. I mean, all of those um, cloud platforms have that um, geo-replication functionality. And, and as you say, it's not, I mean, it's not um, unimaginable that they, they use, uh, maybe not version 25, but that that functionality will come. And then it's always, and I think that's a Microsoft uh, scale units are used all throughout the Azure DevOps topology as well throughout the world. So scale unit in itself is, is a key component in any kind of global rollout. And um, boiling back to your session, as well as the discussion we had with microservices, if you have a worldwide operation or even doesn't have to be worldwide, just Europe-wide still makes sense to kind of, you, you, you need to worry about latency and using scale units as well as for redundancy, as you say. So I think that's, that's it's a very good point. It's coming to that. But at the same time, <clears throat> going back to that commerce discussion, I mean, Microsoft retail and commerce has always been been a little bit ahead in time when it comes to design, uh, when it comes to like pools and, and retail channels. And then, of course, there are larger e-commerce platforms like Intershop, etc., um, for volume. But the more the more features coming in this uh, in their e-commerce solution that we have right now, it makes it more and more of an interesting candidate for a lot of B two B, also B two C, of course, um, scenarios. And it's it's clear that all of these features that are standard in all of the other e-commerce larger platform solutions, like this geo replication or geo selection um, function. It's still it's still a nice feature to have, and it makes it easier to kind of yeah. We don't have one million uh, customers per day on our ecom. We have maybe a thousand. Maybe you don't need to invest in that large external e-commerce platform. You, it's fully sufficient with the one that's included in Dynamics Commerce. So I think it's nice to see that they're investing time into it. That's what I'm saying. 
Yep, cool. What's next on your list? Uh, next on my list is uh, I was looking into finance, um, and it was a pretty <laughs> small list of functionality, something related to cost. Uh, not that much, really. I think that it's coming more in the, in the waves. But I wanted to highlight another topic because if you look at, uh, as we do for each podcast here, we go through the um, what's new and changed, uh, the sites, the division into supply finance and commerce is, makes it a little harder. But still, uh, sometimes it doesn't come that much from a feature perspective, but specifically for finance and especially for finance, I was going to say, is the, the regulatory updates because that's where you really see a lot of changes coming because all of the um, tax governments, uh, etc., worldwide, they are really ramping up the uh, the electronic reporting. It's clear to say some some countries are more ahead, some countries are more behind, but it's coming, and it's <laughs> clear that no one got together in a room and and kind of okay, guys, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna follow the standard. Everyone uses different, and even with the standards that they have, like CEPA, still France goes like we're not gonna use the following. We're gonna use this and. Even within banks, you have specific SEPA formats, so there are no standards. I think you said this, um, this is a good standard. What's your saying, Ivan, when it comes to standards? <laughs> standards are good. Let's get our own. Exactly. <laughs> and that's really it. But with the cloud platform and then with Amex, um, one sales pitch is like, yeah, we, we promise that we are going to comply with regulatory demands. And that's a really nice sales pitch because you don't have to, everyone is reading it as you don't have to build your own customizations to to cover it. And that's not really true um, because the regulatory updates will cover the legal demands. So, I mean, for instance, tax reporting. Uh, if the Swedish tax government comes with a new format, sweet tax or whatever, uh, Microsoft will most likely um, deliver some kind of electronic reporting format for it. Um, if enough people complain or <laughs> tickets to it, otherwise it might be late. Um, but it's, it's still on you to kind of configure it, set it up. You have to build an integration for it. Uh, so uh, even if we um, cover the legal demands, uh, it's not enough to just trust that it will be there. You need to also stay on top of the regulatory updates coming because if you know of a regulatory update <laughs> and it's not supported, uh, you better well, inform or contact Microsoft about it to, to raise it um, and, and really bring it up. So don't just read the features and don't just read what's new and coming. That's what I'm saying. Also have a look at the regulatory updates for your country or countries. Yeah, but on the other hand, even though every country and every authority in every country uses their own standard, that's the one of the sides of, of, the, of the issue. Mm. The other side is... is that every customer needs to implement every standard. <laughs> in this case, if we actually have Microsoft to implement every standard, at least we we cut down on some of the work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that. So so it's it's still a, it's still a win if if Microsoft can say that we have this, and and also we we've discussed been discussing this before that some of these things that doesn't just work out of the box is actually in some cases related to the fact that. We didn't take these things into account when we set up the system to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we might have different dimensions set up. We might have different uh, account structures that doesn't exactly match that. But on the other hand, if we know the requirements on dimensions and account structures Mm -hmm. for Norway, for instance, in order to get tax reporting to work out of the box, then when we set up a new customer in Norway 
we will take that into account because then it makes it a lot easier. Absolutely, it gets you a long way uh, along the road uh, to implement. It's much easier. You don't have to build everything from scratch. So it's a, it's a good thing. The the point I'm raising is more. It's not plug and play. <laughs> it never is. No, 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 no. It never is. But if if Microsoft takes most of the hit and the customers need to take a little bit of the hit, that's still better than everyone building their own, exactly. which has just been up up to up until now. So <laughs> absolutely. Yes. All right. So the next one is actually a bug. No, <laughs> it's not a bug. It's actually <laughs> If you ask Microsoft, it's a feature. If you ask, ask the customer, it's actually a bug. It's an undocumented feature. Exactly. So in this case, it actually has to do with sales orders. And the point is that Microsoft has put in a hard limit on manually posting sales orders. Mm. And they have set it to 100. And the customer I was discussing this with said that, no, this is impossible. We can't really use this because 100 is too few. Okay, so why are you posting them manually? Because we want control. We want to verify them. We want to control them. So you are actually controlling more than 100 sales orders before you post them. Hmm. (laughs) Almost all of them. Okay, so basically none of them. Okay, so why are you posting them manually? We have always posted them manually. So I would argue, and I know that there are a lot of people which disagree with me, but I would argue that if you're manually posting a hundred sales order at a time Mm. or more, you're probably doing it wrong (laughs) because you should probably have some kind of an automation in this case. Of course. But it, it's good to know if you, have, if you have a process which depends on the fact that you are posting things manually, you probably need to do it in batches <laughs> exactly. in this case. Batches lesser than 100. Makes sense. Yeah, and, uh, and again, I mean, all those manual processes should be looked at anyway, but um, it's a good point to, to raise and it makes sense to kind of try to limit it uh, for performance reasons as well. Yeah, um, it, it is. It is for performance reasons. It's it's a big performance hit. So yeah, of course, it's the same as the limit in Excel download, right? You can't download too many lines using the Excel um, entity framework. So, and it makes sense. Um, I have a last one, and it goes back to commerce, my my favorite topic, and it's <laughs> on availability, uh, product availability, and it's I mean it's hard to to really. Um, uh, say what the feature is here more than it tries to provide more accurate availability um, commerce as you know as many pool systems connected to ERPR is a separate application really so I mean it has channel DB commerce scale units etc so at any given point during operative hours where the stores are open if you go into dynamics back in HQ you will not get the real-time stock on hand for this channel or for the store because of well, natural reasons. If you make a sale, it takes as long as it takes for the P jobs to run, P job to run, um, post it, calculate everything like that. So HQ is not the real time. Um, well, the place to look at real time on hand. There are other solutions for that. I think you have a topic on that one as well, Johan. But what the new feature in version twenty two is um, uh, an improved or availability calculation on channel side where you. You can go to APIs and check. Okay, uh, we have we had this on hand based on the transactions that are coming after uh, within this time frame. We should have this. So it's a more 
near real time calculation of a, of on hand or availability which can be implemented to either with channels need to look up the availability in other channels near region channels etc you can use that feature if you have the need to have more accurate on hand for specific operations than just looking at hq and like nightly batches and reconciliation uh, all those the mrp jobs etc um, those you can rely on the night well, the actual transaction postings so it's a improved um, product availability calculation you could say that's coming and it's uh, feature based so you need to turn it on and you need to configure it and you need to know how to use it and call the api so if that sounds um, interesting make sure to read up on the on the commerce docs yep i just shortly wanted to mention inventory visibility because we have discussed this before which mm -hmm. just to remind you it's it's a it's an api that you can use that is uh, hosted in a, in one of these uh, fancy microservices that are outside of Dynamics. Uh, makes it easier for third-party systems and outside systems to actually query inventory uh, it, after the, as you said, the p-job has run. Mm -hmm. We can actually, instead of having to build things towards the retail API, we can actually just use a web service and, and ask for it, mm -hmm. which, is, which is, makes it easier. Uh, but one of the features of the inventory visibility integration is that it, you can actually not just read things from it, you can actually write th things through, through it. You can actually reserve inventory for orders through this interface. But in order to do that, you actually need to enable uh, the feature in inventory visibility integration with the ref reservation offset. Yeah. So if you don't do that, you're not allowed to write things back into Dynamics. But if you do that, you can you can reserve things through inventory visibility as well. That's very nice, and I think that kind of uh, that can be a lengthy discussion on how to handle I mean, on hand in in complex commerce situations with varying post topology, etc. It's always complex, and everyone. On the other hand, everyone wants on real time on hand. On the other hand, you have IT saying it's impossible because we have different systems. Um, but the visibility app is really nice in that regard because it can gather data from different sources, right? And that's nice to kind of get a, a daily on hand lookup. But if you can also implement reservations to to cover your planning needs on on in back end HQ, I think that's a really interesting way to go. And I really like that inventory visibility app and to see see how it goes with that one. I have nothing else actually today. No, I'm I'm also done actually. So uh, I think we're done for today. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, hope you'll be back on ten dot zero dot twenty three with this coming soon. Thank you. Have a nice uh, time until next time. Bye bye. bye, -bye.